This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Take care of your property with equipment you can count on, like the Kubota BX and L01 Series compact tractors, part of our under 100 horsepower tractor lineup, rated number one for reliability, and Z-Series mowers and sidekick utility vehicles, where durability meets speed. Visit your local Kubota dealer for a demo today. Go to KubotaUSA.com for full disclaimer. Visit GoKubota.com for a dealer near you. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. This is our View of the Opposition show. As I talk to a supporter, blogger, or podcaster that covers Fulham's opposition for the upcoming match. In this episode, I'll be talking to Kevin DeVries, who is the host of the EPL Roundtable. He happens to be a Tottenham Hotspur supporter. He is on to give us the opposition view of this match between Tottenham Hotspur and Fulham. We have much to discuss before I go on any further. I have to welcome my guest to the show. Kevin, welcome to Cottage Talk. Thanks so much. Very uh, glad to be on. I've heard you, of course, on a championship show for a couple of years now. and glad to be on myself now. Well, it's great to have you on. Listen, I, I think it would be a great way to start by just telling us a little bit about the EPL Roundtable. You hosted it. It's a great show. Actually, you interviewed me a little while ago. Let's talk about the EPL Roundtable and how people can listen to it and follow it on Twitter. Uh, yeah, it's uh, at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. It's EPL Roundtable on iTunes and all the other uh, podcast places is about six years old now <laughs> just learning how to talk and everything like that <laughs> but uh yeah it's a, it's a good time kind of like your show we tend to have um journalists and uh podcasters and bloggers for different clubs all come on onto the same show and then talk about issues so you get some really interesting perspectives where say a manchester united fan would view a topic very differently than say crystal palace or, or uh fulham for example so uh, we, we like to start those conversations and just kind of see how they play out based on uh, how different fans of different clubs see those issues. Oh, it's a, it's a great show. I actually listened to the latest episode. I'd highly recommend uh, all fans listen to the EPL Roundtable. I was part of the championship version, and uh, it, it's good that potentially I can be part of the EPL Roundtable because yeah. uh, I enjoy the championship version. All right, my friend, let's get into this because uh, – want to get your thoughts on Tottenham. Let's start here. Let's talk about the transfer window where, unfortunately, yeah. Tottenham Hotspur made history. They did not sign a player. So let's talk about it. What went on here? Yeah, well, as you say, uh, first team since 2003 to not sign any player, and that's when the summer window was fully established. Um, it was a very strange one because at the end of last season, Pochettino uh, very brazenly says that Tottenham need to be brave this summer. And a whole lot of people read into that as kind of a plea to Levy for, for money to spend on new players, which it never was. And he was literally quoted in an interview as saying that's specifically not what he meant. But it's still got the fans' hopes at the start. I think it's an important point to lay down before getting into the rest of it. Um, very soon after the transfer window opened, 
um, we extended several of our players, including literally doubling Harry Kane's wages, um, which very heavily broke our long-standing wage structure that we would never pay a player more than a hundred thousand pounds a week. Um, and so, in my eyes, that's what the being brave was, because we were worried about losing Harry Kane and Deli Ali and Christian Eriksen and the like. And so, by breaking our wage structure. What it did was it ensured that we were able to keep our best players rather than going out and signing other people. Now, in theory, there should have been more money than that, but um, as I'm sure we'll address at some point, there's also been a stadium build going on, and that stadium uh, cost spiked um, as soon as all of the Brexit stuff started happening. Yep. Um, a lot of the steel prices and things went up, so a lot of money went into that. And, it's it, you know, football's not actually – a video game. You can't just make a new pot of money. It's all the club's money. It all has to go to all these different things. Um, so that's, that's probably part of it. I have seen a lot of fans um, saying that this isn't that big a deal. They brought up Pochettino's recent press conference quotes or quotes from his book where he says he likes to have a smaller squad and that the better a squad gets, the harder it is to add to, which is no doubt true. But all 19 clubs are trying to get better, and all 19 did, save for us. And there's no way that Pochettino wanted zero players in this window either. So I think people are, are kind of missing the point there. What I found very interesting, um, especially in the back half of the window, is that all of a sudden all the rumors went away. Because Tottenham's transfer strategy is typically to contact all of our targets, and that leads to there being a lot of rumors about us. Right because we will have made contact and then people play the telephone game. Tottenham made contact, Tottenham are in negotiations, Tottenham are talking to the club, Tottenham is signed. Like all of those happen before those things are agreed. And what was really interesting is that they all died down in the back half of the window, save for Jack Grealish. And it really made it sound like we just missed on all of our targets, short of Jack Grealish, and then they got new owners and then we weren't able to buy him. Small footnote on that, by the way. The people that think that we were just dumb to not sign Grealish before the new ownership partners came in. They wanted to not sell him while they were negotiating whether or not they were going to come in. Why would you sell your best? Why, why would you want your best asset to be gone Absolutely. before you show up and invest your money? So I think the people that thought that we were just stupid are kind of missing the point and, and making it a bit more basic than the situation really was. Um, but the concern is that we were so uh, slow and disinterested in players late in the window. We obviously had early interest in Martial. There was talk of a Martial for Toby Alderville split, which probably on deadline day, United and Tottenham fans both would have liked, just so that their clubs would have addressed something in the squad. Um, but <laughs> in the end, they didn't. And then now that we see all these stadium issues, um, where the stadium's been delayed, now we have to figure out if we're playing more games at Wembley. There's this Manchester City match that there's a, there's a non-zero chance that it would have to be vacated. Because we can't play at City Stadium, we can't play at Wembley, and we can't play at ours. So unless a third-party stadium opens up, there's not really a solution there. Um, so if you have those issues, the fact that we didn't bring any transfers in, you really have to wonder what was happening at the high levels of Tottenham Hotspur this summer if none of these issues were able to be addressed. That's fascinating. And, and I was just going to bring up to you, because I think a part of this is the stadium issue. That's where I was going to go, so I'm glad that you brought that up first and then also talked about signing your players. I think that's also important. So I think there's a combination too. I think that you did have targets and for whatever reason, the Grealish thing never materialized. And listen, there was speculation with Sessegnon late. I, I saw some crazy speculation of potential deal with Sessegnon going one way and Rose coming another. Who who knows? Yeah. But like you mentioned, they, there was some stuff going on out there. But I also think that behind the scenes, the stadium – played a significant role in this yeah and we've seen this in the premier league before um arsenal specifically with rivals arsenal exactly they had they had the same kind of situation and i think levy did a very good job of making sure we wouldn't have to deal with this but then when the the cost of the stadium inflated and the delivery time of it got elongated i think we were just kind of at a disadvantage in the fact that this is the first window to end before the season starts, which I think is a good idea if everyone's doing it, but not everyone is doing it. I think that threw a big wrench into it. The fact it was a World Cup year as well. So a lot of the targets were occupied um, playing in the World Cup, obviously slowed things. And you will see across the Premier League, this is the lowest 
amount that the Premier sorry, this is the first year that the Premier League has spent less in the transfer window than the previous year. Like it's just empirically true that teams were struggling to bring in as many players as they have in past years, whether it be the deadline day change, whether it be the World Cup. It just wasn't as effective, and then Tottenham were the least effective in that new system. Okay, very interesting situation going on at Tottenham Hotspur. All right, let's talk about your opener against Newcastle United. I watched a yeah. chunk of it, did not watch the entire match. Just want to get your overall view and what you learned about your club. Uh, what we learned about is that if you put five starters into a team that haven't trained with that team in months, <laughs> but then they struggle. Um, that was really the main uh, takeaway there. I think Deli Ali had a very good match, but not any better than he usually does for us. I just think he was sharper than a lot of the players that haven't really gotten going yet. Um, mixing in the players that played a lot in the preseason, like Sissoko and Lucas and Aurier, and then shoving them next to players that they haven't seen in months, um, I, I think proved to be a little bit difficult. There wasn't a lot of cohesion, um, specifically in the midfield. Um, a, a specific issue that is a little concerning is the whole point of buying Lucas Mora or any of the other many wing targets we were targeting last January was that we needed pace, width, and creativity. And one of the reasons that it, that position went so unaddressed for us for so long was it was hard to find somebody with all three. Right. And then when we finally isolated somebody, oh, and they had to be better than our current players because otherwise you're <laughs> not really improving the squad. Sure. So we finally isolated one, and Lucas Mora, who was uh, whatever the German word for Wunderkind is, um, spent obviously some time at PSG, won some trophies, didn't really gel there, though. But we take a chance on him. Obviously, high talent, high pace, has that creativity factor we were talking about. But the issue is he is drifting in centrally significantly. And with a team that already has Harry Kane, Deli Ali, and Christian Eriksen all trying to play in central areas, when Mora cuts in like that, it's just bringing more congestion into a space where all of our creative players are supposed right. to be. And we really need him to stay out wide. And I saw the um, heat map for Lucas after that match, and he was more central than Christian Eriksen. Wow. Which is a problem. We very much need him to stay out wide, especially in this match, which, of course, we'll get to later. Sure. But that was, that was really concerning because Lucas had a very good preseason um, when he was really the, the biggest star that was on the tour. Um, but seeing how he reintegrates when the bigger names and the players that have a bigger impact for us are back, seeing that he kind of adopted the style he had over the summer versus his, his traditional career profile uh, was a little concerning because we don't need somebody cutting inside. We have that already. We need him to really hug the touchline and, and face things out a bit. Um, okay. uh, aside from that, I think Hugo Lloris had a good match in goal. Yep. Um, and, and I think um, – there were moments, you know, there were 10 minute stretches or moments here and there when our talent level just shone through where, yeah. you know, a, a club like Tottenham just has more talented players huh. than a club like Newcastle. And at times that was evident, but there were, there were significant swaths of that match where Newcastle were playing more cohesive and a better brand of football. And uh, we really need to tighten that up going forward, obviously. But in the end, it's match week one. We threw in a whole bunch of random players and we got three points away. Uh, to Newcastle, so you'll absolutely take that and then just oh, absolutely. head on to the next one, which is what we're talking about. Excellent. Before we move on, I, I want to go back just to talk about this a little bit more because I did watch yeah. a decent chunk of it, and a couple things stood out for me, and you actually talked about both of them on the EPL roundtable with Jake, who is a Newcastle United supporter. <laughs> a, a player that stood out for me for his side was Kennedy, and that actually yeah. gave me a little hope for this upcoming match, watching the way he really uh, went through the uh, – Tottenham team at, at certain points during this match, but things seemed to change when one of my favorite players of all time for Fulham, Moussa Dembele, was inserted. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a big fan of Dembele, really big fan. So let's talk about that because, again, maybe that plays itself out with this upcoming match, talking about Dembele coming in and, uh, and how you would start for the full match. We can talk about that in a little bit, but let's talk about the issue that you had with Kennedy, and then, of course, uh, Moussa Dembele coming in. Yeah, I, I assume with Kennedy, your analogy would be Sessegnon coming off the left. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically what Kennedy was doing is he was just dribbling infield, constantly breaking through our lines, um, and just picking up a lot of nicks and niggles in the process um, from Tottenham players that were reacting a little late to how he was playing. It kind of reminded me, actually, of Deli Ali's first year at Tottenham 
where like the rest of the team was set up very rigidly and then he was just the wild card and, and defenses didn't really know how to deal with it. And it did seem like that at times with Kennedy, um, the way he was dribbling and unlike Lucas would decide whether to cut infield or uh, out to the touchline. And I think it really lost a lot of the midfielders. The fact that Sissoko at times was trying to mark him uh, was good for them. Um, <laughs> then, uh, as you said, kind of the, the long-term fix was bringing on Musa Dembele, who really just has such like a calming influence right. um, in central midfield, because once he has the ball at his feet, there are very few players in the world that are going to get it off of him if he's just trying to hold on to it. His dribbling, obviously, uh, is fantastic, and he himself can just shoulder off anybody trying to bother him. Um, he's never been the greatest passer, as I'm sure you know, but he can always get himself into a space to make an easy pass, yes. which is certainly uh, a, a talent in its own right. Um, so, yeah, I think for, for us it would be crucial um, to start Musa Dembele in this match if he's fit enough. Of course, that's the big issue. That's why we didn't know if he was staying or not. As he, he said with the Belgian press that he wanted to play in an easier league as he gets older because he's had a hip injury he's been dealing since almost the first year or second year we had him. It was a match against Manchester United. I don't remember what year that was, but um, he's been injured a lot. But if, if we can start him, and Poch will want to because he notoriously loves playing players against clubs that they played for. Um, I think that would be a huge influence for us in that central midfield because the pairing of Sissoko and Dyer in midfield would very much benefit you. And if Sessignon is kind of playing that free role for Fulham, he could certainly cause issues for us as well. Okay, excellent. So I wanted to bring that up. I'm glad that we uh, talked a little bit about that, my friend. All right, let's now talk about key players for you. Everyone knows the names, but as you mentioned going into this match, you're dealing with players coming back. So who do you see as your key players going into this match against Fulham? On form, uh, you'd have to say Deli Ali, because he was the only one that really looked up to the races. But where I think the difference could really be made is if Pochettino talks to Lucas about this whole width issue. Because right. you have just gotten Brian in. He hasn't been at the club for a week. Um, and throwing somebody with his kind of pace and guile at, at Brian, I think, could be, really be a huge influence on our right wing on your left. Um, the, the big question mark is Harry Kane, who still does not look right. Um, but your your back line did not look super settled last week um, in, in the stretches that I saw. Yeah, they're all new. Um, which, was not, which was not the whole thing. Exactly. It, true or false, your back line is entirely new, right? Correct. It's all new. Yeah. Cyrus Christie was with the club last season. I think he started one match, if I can remember correctly. But pretty much, mm-hmm. it's a new back four and goalkeeper. So you're, you're dealing right. with players that really have not gelled yet together. So there is that little bit uncertainty. And I also want to mention while we're talking about this, because this could affect what goes on in the match. We are recording this on Wednesday. Joe Bryan went off in the second half. He uh, actually went down twice. The second time he came off with, it looked like again, it looked like a potential ankle injury. So we're not sure of his status for this match. If he does not play, that could change a great deal with how Fulham set up. So we'll, we'll see, but Who uh, who would be over there in theory. In theory, in theory, what I think would happen, if that is the case, you would have Young go back to left back, and then you would have Kamara go over to the right and potentially Sherrill over to the left. That's what I think would happen. I think that would be the domino effect. I hope Joe Ryan is okay, honestly, but, but we just don't know at this point as we're recording this on Wednesday. But that's, I guess you could say, something that we're going to have to watch as we get closer to the match. Maybe we'll learn from uh, Slavisa Jokanovic on Thursday. But like I mentioned, we're recording this Wednesday, so I'm not sure of that mm-hmm. at this point. But yeah, well, that, well, that would be that very interesting. That would be a very interesting matchup change because Zestinion does have the pace and ability to probably keep up with Lucas a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but as you just said, he would still be lining up next to two center backs that he hasn't really played with. Correct. Um, which, which, which I guess is really my point is I know Harry Kane hasn't been on form and it would be, uh, deceitful to say that he has been near that really since before uh, his most recent uh, ankle injury, which he only re- returned to against Chelsea in February or March. Yeah. Um, but a player like him up against a new back line that don't have like an established line of communication, aren't used to their, their partner's tendencies, there there will be gaps made. There. Oh, sure. And if there That's are, that will obviously lead to very dangerous opportunities for us. Yes, and, and that's what concerns me, especially against a, a club like yours. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to this, Kevin, and we'll talk about it as we get further and further into this preview. 
And this actually acts as the preview for, for Cottage Talk. You and I talking about the match. The view of the opposition this season is the preview show for Cottage Talk. And what's interesting is that I see this as an opportunity for Fulham to really test themselves against a top-rated club that should have the ball much more than they do. They're used to having the ball. How will they react? How will the defense be able to step up after only playing together one time together? It's going to be very interesting, and it's a huge test. Seriously, I know how big of a test this is. All right, my friend, uh, let's get Mm -hmm. into this a little bit more. Let's talk about your strengths and weaknesses of your team right now. Again, we're talking about the situation with players coming back, injured players. So where do you see the strengths and weaknesses right now? The strengths are obviously in the creative side. Um, just just having I, I know Sun just left for the Asia games, but still having How much of a loss is going to see, by the way? Um, well it kind of depends because depending on the formation we roll out, sometimes he's just not in that formation design. Um, so there are some matches where it wouldn't matter at all. But in this kind of hybrid four two three one, four three three we've been playing, he's very important out on the left. Um, and it's worth noting that outside in Kudu, who it sounds like we're going to loan to mines either, well, probably the day you're listening to this, we do not have another naturally left-sided attacking player. Oftentimes what we'll do is we'll pseudo-play Christian Eriksen over there, play Deli Ali through the middle and then a right winger, which I assume will be Lucas, but we also have Lamella out there. Um, so yeah, losing Sun removes the factor of having pace on both sides of the pitch when we have Lucas. Um, on the right and Sun on the the left, obviously that creates a lot more dynamics in, in our attack um, because then you can either do it creatively or just brute force with pace. When one of them has gone, it obviously detracts from that. Although putting Christian Eriksen on the left, obviously the benefit of that is it allows him to send in more crosses and there are a few players in the Premier League more accurate. Um, but it, it will have a significant impact, but we still have so much creativity, um, oh, especially in, in that bank of the pitch. Um, I think that's really our greatest strength. The defense typically is, and as we mentioned earlier, we're not really sure what lineup we're going to see. Okay. And if it is Serge Aurier, obviously, he, the, with great risk comes great reward and also great failure um, with, with Serge Aurier. He could set up a game-winning goal, uh, or he could concede a red card or a penalty that, that ensures that you lose. Um, and those are, those are just the dicey roll when you play him. Um, Davinson Sanchez is phenomenally talented. He's he's far ahead in his development schedule from what the club originally expected, but he still has issues. For, for people that saw the Juventus match in the Champions League last year, two things became very evident. One, it's very easy for him to lose his man-one-man marking if they ever go off of his back shoulder. He just he he just doesn't have that um, internal sense yet of where his man is behind him. Um, so at, at times he'll just completely lose people. And also he's fairly easily turned. If somebody makes a quick move to his weak foot, it takes him a while to fully rotate and get there. Now, his his top end pace is very good, so oftentimes he can recover. But that initial burst sometimes can lose him as well. Um, so so typically I, I would have said the defense because, you know, we've had one of the best defenses in the Premier League for basically since Pochettino showed up. But we might not see that this weekend depending on the team selected. Okay. Excellent there, my friend. All right. Before I get your thoughts on Fulham, I'm actually going to read some excerpts from Tony Gale's column. It's actually on the Fulham website. He does a very okay. good job and uh, always has some very interesting things to share. And, and here's some things he's sharing about Tottenham, and I want to get your thoughts on it as we go through our preview of this upcoming match. This is what Tony Gale had to share. Quote, Tottenham away seems like a daunting next fixture, but in my opinion, If there's a time to play Spurs, it's now. They were far from convincing against Newcastle, and you could see that there's a little World Cup weariness in their legs because the majority of their starting 11 played in Russia this summer. I think there was a little bit of tiredness there in mind as well as in body. That said, we'll need to be a little bit tighter than we were last weekend and wary of the breakaway. What do you do without the ball is as important as what you do with the ball, particularly in the Premier League. I saw Spurs at Wembley quite a lot last season, and they did struggle in some of the matchups when they were big favorites. Their fans will be expecting them to beat Fulham, and sometimes that can mean they don't get behind them as much as they should. Okay, that finishes the quote. Your thoughts Mm -hmm. on what Tony Gale had to share? I think they're very interesting thoughts there. How about you? 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of good points there. Uh, the fans do tend to get edgy, especially in the matches that we quote-unquote should win. Uh, I'm sure when they mentioned struggling against teams, um, West Brom and Swansea in particular at Wembley um, proved to be far more difficult affairs than we would have liked. And at times we do struggle to break down teams and set up to defend, but I am not under the impression that that's what we'll get um, from Fulham and Yukonovich, um, uh, as you typically do to try to at least uh, play your football. Right. Um, as for other points about playing us early, that is probably when you want to play us. You probably want to play us both early before all of our World Cup stars are reintegrated, before we know whether or not Toby Alderweireld and Danny Rose are staying at the club and the impact that they'll have. Obviously, they're fantastic players. Um, and before we're at the new stadium. Who knows when that's going to be at the moment. Um, but all of those things would make this fixture more difficult, and you are avoiding those issues. Um, Harry Kane looking fit. And, and back up and running, obviously, another thing that you're avoiding. Although I suppose you could lump that into World Cup players not yet on form. Although, like sure. I said earlier, I think that predated the World Cup, actually. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think this is, if you were going to play us this year, which you were going to twice because that's just how the Premier League works, um, now, now is probably the time to do it. And at Wembley, a place that fans were ready to move on from already, a place that we've just found out we're going to be stuck at for at least another month, uh, I do not think the crowd will be in, in a very good place uh, heading into this one. Obviously, an early goal could change all of that. Sure. Um, but, yeah, if, if the longer this match goes, either without a goal or if Fulham took, took the lead first, uh, the longer people are going to get unsettled, and uh, including the players. I think it will be much easier for us to hold on to a lead than it would be to try to chase one late based on the tiredness and the legs that you talked about. Okay, very good there, my friend. All right. Let me now get your thoughts of Fulham heading into this match. I actually listened to the EPL roundtable, and you guys had an interesting discussion on how much money Fulham had spent. I know that they spent a huge amount of money, brought in a ton of players, especially several late. But what's interesting about this, this is just my opinion that uh, each one of these players, there's a purpose behind it. And it's funny, the only thing that you could really look at and, and say, well, what are they doing is bringing in two goalkeepers. But I think this is just my opinion that, there's something going on with Marcus Bettinelli. I don't know what it is. It's just my opinion. I don't have any news behind that. I'm just thinking that they wouldn't be bringing in two goalkeepers if uh, there wasn't something going on or thoughts with the club, with Marcus. Maybe they're thinking about loaning him out. I don't know. But I think that they've made a decision to have two other goalkeepers. And I think, unfortunately, Marcus Bettinelli is uh, the third man out. I, we'll see how that all plays out. That's how I think it's going to go. But I think all other moves that they made fit needs. So I know the mm -hmm. price tag is huge, Kevin, and you guys had a long discussion on it, and it's going to take time for it to gel all together. But I see every move as uh, part of the style of Jokanovic, and it all seems to fit on paper what they're trying to do. So I'm not against them spending money. In fact, I look at it this way. Would you want them not to spend money and take the Cardiff City approach, which I think is going to be more difficult to stay in the league Fulham, mm -hmm. I think, are, are looking at it as they don't just want to stay in the league, Kevin. They want to compete in the league. Maybe that's being ambitious, but that is how the cons have been acting. So that's the way I look at it. But I want to get your thoughts on Fulham. Yeah, I, I, I realized that I was being critical of the window, but I think that was more along the lines of trying to continue the momentum from last season, which oftentimes sure. the teams that win the playoffs tend to have. Because you're basically signed a new 11. Whether or not Correct. they all take those roles yes. and hold on to them remains to be seen. But this is almost an entirely new team of players yes. that you've brought in. And I agree with you. I think on an individual basis, they're all good signings uh, on the pitch. You can debate about price, but we're in such like a weird post-price place with transfers. <laughs> There's not really much use getting into, well, they, they really should have spent 25 instead of 30. Like that, that, it feels to me like that conversation is basically dead in football now. Um, my, yeah, my main issue was you had a very good squad last year. You came up with it. Usually you want to capitalize on that momentum, and it seems like you're kind of truncating it. The fact that Sherla immediately stepped in, um, obviously. Mitrovic, and it's, it's worth noting that Mitrovic was there already. Mitrovic is not right. part of this conversation of new people showing up. He already knows the system. As yeah. you and I have talked about on, on our show, and I've heard you talk on the championship before, there is a reverence between uh, Mitrovic and Jokanovic. Um, that tends to get the best out of him. So it's worth noting that he has already been there. Are all good signings? The question is just how long is it going to take 
right. for all these players to get used to their roles. And and some of them already know each other, like the fact that Seri and Lamarchand came over together from uh, Nice, I think helps. Um, you, you actually have a fair few Spanish speakers coming in with uh, Anguissa as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my, my question is, where do they all go? Because, you know, Alfie Mawson and Callum Chambers, that's a new central midfield, uh, midfield pair. You're bringing in Joe Ryan because you weren't able to um, get Matt Target back in after Correct. last season. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how Seth Neon isn't actually a left back. And then you bring in Sari, who obviously goes into the midfield. Sherla, who obviously goes into the midfield. It, it, it's just a lot. And, and I agree with you that you want to show ambition. I just think that something may have been sacrificed in the um, on tackle. Uh, I, I don't know how to phrase this well. Instead of the tactical or the tangible, I just feel they may have been dumping damage to something outside of that in this club by saying, congratulations, you were all fantastic. We finally made it to the Premier League. Here's your spot on the bench. It's an interesting point. And the way that I'm looking at it, that Fulham have made some decisions after the season was over, Kevin. This is what's, what's interesting talking to you about this, because we talked about this on Cottage Talk, is that they were looking for upgrades everywhere, and it's pretty obvious based on they got the transfer them. window that that's what they're doing. And there's an right. argument to be made on your side. Well, you have a settled side, just go with it. But then you have to ask yourself, are you just looking to survive, or are you looking to be in the Premier League for several years? And I think the cons took the approach that, to stay in the league for a very long period of time, more than just this year, they needed an upgrade and they needed to take a, a hard look at some of these players that got them through the championship to the premier league, give them competition and see who sticks and who's going to be the starter. And I think that's what they've done. I just think that they've given themselves competition in every position, which I think is good. I think that's healthy. And players that are, were already with us in the championship, they'll have their opportunity to stick, to be the starter. But now they have someone mm-hmm. coming in that's going to challenge them, and that's the way I look at it. That's why I look at the transfer window, and I think it was a brilliant transfer window because I thought the cons showed everyone that they're ambitious, that they don't just want to be dealing with a relegation battle. They, w- they want to be in the league for a long period of time, and I thought this is a step in the right direction. But I, I understand where mm-hmm. you're coming from on it. Yeah, uh, and as you said, I mean, Cardiff, didn't do a Premier League transfer window. They made sure that they're no, they going to be good in the championship one. next season. Yes. Exactly. Um, and you obviously didn't do that. Uh, um, and and Wolves we didn't work before. The year, they, they, of course they did. And when Watford came up, I had many of the same complaints. Watford basically just brought in, through their weird Spanish connection, just like six or seven new players. They're like, this is our team now. And I, I was responding to that on the back of Tottenham, having just done that when we spent the bail money. And we weren't able to get all those players bedded in. Of course, some of them stuck, some of them didn't. And I, I guess what you're saying is you're just willing to take that gamble that the team will be more improved than damaged by making all these signings. Over a period of time, it's funny because uh, right. I've said this on Cottage Talk, and uh, curious your thoughts on this. I thought it would be better for Fulham to start the season playing against Spurs and maybe follow that up with a, another top six team instead of playing mm-hmm. Crystal Palace so early because Crystal Palace is a team let's be honest and say 10 weeks time, that would be a team you're looking at. Okay. We need three points. It's the opener. It's a team that you should be able to get points from just mm. by the style of play, even though they are an established premier league team. That's a team you got to be looking at points when you're playing a team like Spurs, you're thinking, Oh, let's see what, let's see what we're let's about. See we let's see what we can do. Right. So, yeah, no, you know, I think it's a very good point. And I think a lot of people, um, will be surprised by Crystal Palace throughout the year because oh, they had Crystal a Palace historically have a bad season last year and finished yeah. 11th with a Very striker impressed. that couldn't finish with a Premier League record of injuries. <laughs> like the oh. people that, that just assumed that they were going to be bottom half this year. No way. I think we're I'm very a impressed lot of with Crystal details. Palace. That's, I can back yeah. this up. After watching that match and seeing how Roy has built that team and knowing Roy Hodgson's history, obviously with Fulham and, and some of his other clubs, that team mm-hmm. is, to me, has the potential to be top 10 because they're hard to beat. They basically get you to make mistakes. And once you make mistakes, as happened with Fulham, they're going to pounce. And that's a good part of how Fulham lost that match is that mm-hmm. one team was clinical, the other team wasn't. And then once they took advantage of their opportunities, they basically leaned on Fulham. And they just, again, 
opened themselves up to get that second goal. Once they, once they killed the matchup, that, that was it. And uh, I agree with you. I think Crystal Palace are a team that's underrated, extremely underrated. Yeah. That's, that's and, and so I think that looks like a worse loss than it was yeah. to start the year. I don't think people are aware of how good Palace can be this year. Totally agree. All right, my friend, real quick, what Fulham players concern you from a Tottenham Hotspur perspective? Well, I know it's like basically the S word at this point, but uh, Sessignon <laughs> is the one that I think is the most interesting heading in. Sure. Um, as as we've talked about off air before, uh, I had heard on the Tottenham side that Sessignon was very close to joining Tottenham and that if you hadn't gotten promoted, he most likely would have become a Tottenham player. And so I have to wonder on my side, A, the validity of all that, because we'll never know. Sure. He did get promoted, obviously. Uh, and B, how much is that weighing on him? I suppose C, does that have an impact? Is he going to try to prove himself against the club that were interested in and didn't sign him? Is he resentful or angry and going to take it out on them and have like a phenomenal match? Does he even care anymore? Like, I just find this whole situation, it was so weird. And as you know, it's been going on for years. Yes. January ago, we, we lost a formal offer. It's been going for, um, for a long time now. Exactly. So whether or not that has an impact on the match remains to be seen. And then add on top of that the fact that it's most likely Aurier starts again. And as I mentioned earlier, he can be so up and down. A player like Sessignon could really give him problems if he does start on the wing, although like we just said, he might not. Um, but, but I think a lot of the Tottenham fan base will be really interested in Sessignon. Okay. Now, to give you a less cliched answer, Mitrovic. Yes, because Tottenham center backs, whether it be Toby and Jan or Davinson and Jan, they are not the huge brute force center backs that used to dominate football. They want to play on the ground. They want to shield you rather than tackling you. They do not want to deal with the physical presence for 90 minutes. And I, I think uh, I'm sure you heard on the show last week. Yes. I think Newcastle missed an opportunity by not playing Rondon the whole match. I heard you say because that. You saw in the last 20 minutes or so, he really started causing problems because he'll make dummy runs to send Davinson the wrong way, which I mentioned is one of his weaknesses. He'll get his shoulder into the back of Vertonghen and really just make him aware, you know, I'm, I'm big and I'm strong. What are you going to do about it? Um, and so I think a player like Mitrovic is exactly the player ID that causes issues for our defense. Um, and I think that will probably be uh, your best chance at a goal. And it might come from the penalty spot, admittedly, because Aurier <laughs> tends to give away penalties. If Sissoko starts, who knows where he's going to give away the ball and yeah. create a one-on-one that Hugo has to deal with. But um, I think the the narrative answer is Sessignon, and the tactical answer is Mitrovic. Okay. And I'm glad that you mentioned Mitrovic. I was going to ask you about him because you talked about that, like you said, on the EPL roundtable. He's a player that concerns you. And you, as you just said, you mentioned Rondon that maybe if he started, there would be a, a difference in that match. It's very interesting. So that's something to look for from a Fulham perspective. All right, my friend, I like to do this. Let's go through the matchups. I've got several matchups mm-hmm. here. I, I'm just going to say right off the bat, I think that uh, I think it's pretty easy to say that Spurs should win all these matchups. But let's talk about them. Let's talk about Fulham's yeah. attack versus Spurs' defense. Now, you talked about Sessegnon, and you've also talked about Mitrovic. Do you still give the advantage when Fulham are attacking to Spurs, or do you give it to Fulham? Well, a lot of these are going to get stipulated with depending on who plays, because as we've talked about a lot, we're right. not sure which World Cup players are going to be reintegrated. But if it's the same 11 as last week, um, I, I give the slight edge to Tottenham just on the fact that, first of all, you have to get through our midfield, which tends to be strong. Then you have to get through the back line, and then you have to get past Hugo Lloris. That's just a very difficult thing to deal with as Premier League teams have learned over the past few years. As I've said, that does not eliminate the chance of a mistake, but I think over the 90 minutes, our defense will be more effective than your attack. But your attack only has to be effective once to score a goal. Okay, very good. All right, let's now switch it. Spurs attack versus Fulham's defense. I'll just say uh, absolutely. Spurs, your thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter who plays. <laughs> this is this is obviously a huge benefit sure. to Tottenham, both on oh, the yes. talent scale and on the unit scale, because as we've talked about, your back line, A, we don't know on Wednesday who it's going to be, <laughs> which is obviously an issue. And regardless of who it is, they haven't played together. Yeah. Um, so not only is the, the Tottenham attack, uh, ha- not only does it have more continuity, they're all more familiar with each other, but also the talent level is just levels higher. Um, and so, yeah, obviously Tottenham definitely have the benefit there, but 
you know, as we mentioned before, sometimes Tottenham struggle to break down teams. Wembley has proven a, pa- a factor in the past, but on paper, Tottenham's attack is better than Fulham's, Fulham's defense fairly empirically, I think. Yeah, it's very hard for me to argue this one. But here's an interesting one, and I think this will also yeah. be a factor on Pochettino, what he decides to do in central midfield, and also what Slavisa Jokanovic does. Uh, Nguisa just started training with Fulham today. Yeah. Actually, we just saw our first picture. So this is going to be interesting because um, I would say it's going to be Kevin McDonald, but the fact that Nguisa started training, it's an interesting little situation going on here. So who has the advantage in central midfield? The midfield three for Fulham has always been a strength, but uh, I know that's obviously a strength of what happens with uh, Tottenham Hotspur. What are your thoughts about this battle here? This is the most dependent on team selection on both sides, as you just said. Because if we roll out a midfield two of Sissoko and Dyer, it kind of doesn't matter who you're rolling through your midfield. You will have a fairly good day as long as you're passing. You don't want to get physical with Sissoko and Dyer. They're both big boys, I believe is the technical term. Um, But um, it is easy to pass through them. They both make mistakes when they themselves are passing, which creates good counterattacking opportunities, which you kind of referenced earlier. Um, If it is Sissoko and Dyer, Without knowing Fulham's midfield, I think I might still give the edge to Fulham. Obviously, if Dembele and Wanyama magically recover and are thrown into the first 11, there's not many better central midfields than that in the Premier League, let alone Fulham. But that, as of yet, Dembele and Wanyama yet to feature this season. Dembele with the long-running health issues, Wanyama with more current ones. Um, but there's every chance that it will be Fulham controlling the central midfield because despite, as how, despite how effective Dele Ali and Christian Eriksen are, they're both now almost exclusively attacking players. When they're playing in a defensive mindset, it isn't defensively. They're pressing your back line, which really removes them from the central midfield area. They aren't near the center circle for the majority of the match. Um, So there's every chance that Fulham would take this on the day. Okay, very interesting. I'll just share this with you, Kevin. My co-host, Emilio Donnell, said this, and this is very high praise, I'm about to say, and I'm be curious your thoughts after the match on Seri. He said that Seri made yes. the best debut he's ever seen of a foam player ever, mm-hmm. which I find fascinating that Emilio made that kind of uh, stance there on Seri. That just tells you the high praise that he gave to this player. That's a player to watch for foam. Yeah, he was not... amazing at Nice, and a year ago, yes. every top six club made inquiries about him. Exactly. Like, exactly. He, he is, you he can is see not no scrub. No, you can you can definitely see why even a, a club like Barcelona were looking into him. You can definitely see it. Yeah. All right, let's go to the final matchup, and then we'll go to predictions. This is an interesting one because I like both managers a great deal. I'm, you know, I really respect Pochettino, and I obviously respect Savisa, but Savisa, this is his uh, second time now coaching, second match in the Premier League. So who has the coaching advantage here? Yeah, um, it's hard to say where Tottenham and Pochettino rank top five in the league, but Pochettino is one of the top five yeah. in terms of the best managers in the Premier League. And as you said, Nikonovic, we haven't really seen much of. Obviously, one of the best managers in the championship last season, hence the promotion, um, but really yet to see where he falls on the Premier League hierarchy. Um, the one thing I will say on the Pochettino side, I'm obviously less familiar uh, with Fulham because I'm the opposition view um, at <laughs> uh, TM. But uh, Pochettino's one issue, and what's interesting is he has a glaring issue every year and then tends to correct them. Um, but his glaring issue last year was response to opposing team substitutions and tactical changes. <laughs> Basically, the three cups that we got knocked out of, this happened. Uh, West Ham in the Carabao Cup, Manchester United in the FA Cup, Juventus in the Champions League, all three of which we were leading at one point. And then the other side made a tactical adjustment, and we either didn't respond with personnel or tactics in time, um, which is why another reason why I mentioned earlier, I think if we get out to a lead, we might be able to coast through, but you could push us back, and, and we would kind of struggle. Um, I don't know what Yukonovich's biggest weaknesses are, um, and I assume that Pochettino's game planning and, and in-game management are better, but... You know, we'll see. We we just don't know where to put Jokanovic on that list yeah. of 20 right now. Um, but if he, he'd have to be top five to beat up Pochettino. Listen, this is what I will tell you in advance of the match, Kevin, about Slavisa. He wants his team to play possession football. 
Let's just say it. This is a huge task for him because I'm curious to see if he's going to make adjustments playing against a team that should have the ball more than his team. But we'll mm-hmm. see what happens in central midfield based on what you said. Who knows? But that's what he does. He wants his team to dominate the ball. That's what they did in the championship. They actually did it for a good portion of the first half against uh, Crystal Palace. And, and you know, and again, they had 67% of possession. So that tells you that's what he wants to do. But what happens mm-hmm. when they don't have the ball? And that's going to be the test. And that's what I'm waiting to see uh, against Spurs. That's why I think this is a very good time to take a look at Fulham playing Spurs because this is a team that I want to see how they react to. I saw them in preseason play against Lyon, and uh, the score doesn't really justify exactly. Again, it's a preseason match. Fulham were on the back foot a good amount and had to defend, and I thought did a decent job and actually looked like they could counter a little bit. That was encouraging because that goes to this match coming up against a team like Spurs, against a team like Liverpool, Man City. How are they going to react? This is a test, and that's why I want to see what Savisa has in plan. Is he just going to go with his normal plan A and and just have us just attack? We shall see. And that's what makes this uh, coaching matchup interesting. Obviously, the advantage mm-hmm. goes to Pochettino. I just want to see how Savisa is going to handle everything, and it should be fun. All right. Yeah. Let's now go to predictions. Let's do it this way. Let's, before we I get your prediction, I want to get your thoughts. What do Spurs need to do to win this match? Spurs need to be consistent for 90 minutes because we, like England, randomly have 10 minutes on, 10 minutes off and allow the other teams to get back into the match, reestablish tempo and momentum. Um, and, and that can really be the undoing of us. Uh, so I think if we play, if we prioritize playing B plus football for 90 minutes, it will be better than this A to D stuff that we're currently doing. Okay. Very good. Okay. I'm going to word this a little, little bit differently about Fulham. I'm going to put you in the shoes of Savisa Jokanovic. I've done this many times. I think I even did it to Jake once and probably didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So if you are Savisa Jokanovic, what would be your strategy against Tottenham Hotspur at Wembley? Quick passing to central midfield. Maybe press with your front three just to make the back line have to think a little bit because, like I said, Devinson and Serge Aurier both have mistakes in them at times. Um, So if you have a front line that's pressing up against them, especially uh, Mitrovic, who we mentioned earlier, Sessegnon, who at times has played as a defender, uh, might be a little more useful in, in, in that kind of pressing situation. But you don't want to press from the midfield. This, this is the difference between City and Liverpool and why we tend to get the better of Liverpool and not City. Is Liverpool press with everyone, which vacates the midfield, which gives right. loads of space to our creative players. City only press with their front three, um, which hurries you, but the midfield is still covered. Um, so I, I would recommend doing that. Like I said, quick passing through the midfield, just, you know, basic tactic stuff, but just making lots of many triangles and making sure that there's always a pass available and that you're yep. completing them. Because if you don't, we can obviously launch, like we said, but the fact that Dyer and Sissoko are both prone to making errors, as long as you just hassle that central midfield, you'll be in the match. Um, so I'd really focus on that. Maybe an attack, focus on the wings. specifically that, that Sessignon on Aurier thing I talked about earlier. Yep. It might not work out. Aurier has the pace and strength to deal with Sessegnon all day long. The question is, does he have the concentration to deal with him all day long? Um, so yeah, I, I'd pass quickly through central midfield, try to get it to Sessegnon to create some. Sherl is the kind of player that we don't really struggle dealing with. Um, but if you focus on that left wing side, cutting into okay. Mitrovic, who's probably going to be bullying the, the back line, maybe if he targets aiming, like I said before, uh, aiming his runs behind Davinson, there tends to be space there, as we saw with the goal uh, for Newcastle last week. Um, yeah, I, I, quick passing, Sessegnon, Mitrovic, and, and then, like I said, press with your front three, but not everyone. Right, and uh, it's funny because while you were saying this, the first thought that came to my mind, it really is, it starts with, obviously, the midfield three, trying to get control of the ball and trying to pass it, like you mentioned, but then it goes to Mitro. And don't be afraid to get the ball to Mitrovic and see if he can take advantage of your center backs. And because, yeah. listen, even against Crystal Palace, at times, I thought Mitrovic got off – well, he got off three good opportunities and also one header off of a corner. So, basically, four opportunities he had. He needs to be clinical, but Hennessy actually stood up very well in that match and made a difference. Yeah. And, obviously, you have Lloris, who's a very good goalkeeper. But mm-hmm. I think – World Cup-winning goalkeeper. What? 
World Cup winning goalkeeper. That's right. Exactly. So for Fulham to get anything from this match, they're going to need a goal. And uh, I look at Mitrovic and uh, we'll see what happens. All right. We're both going to give our predictions. Let's start with you. What's your prediction? My prediction is I'm sure whatever guest comes on and says to be both magnanimous, but still support their team and say 2-1. 2-1. Okay. So you're going 2-1. I'm not predicting a full victory. Uh, Sorry, I can't do that. So I'm actually going (laughs) to predict the same thing. I'm going to go 2-1. And maybe I'm being ambitious by saying 2-1 because there's a part of me that thinks that maybe it's going to be 3-1. But I think that there's a goal in Fulham, and I want to see if they can step up defensively and limit you to, say, two goals. So I would, you know, again, 2-1, Tottenham Hotspur, maybe I'm being generous here, but I'm but that's what I'm going to go. I'm going to match you and say 2-1. All right, yep. Kevin, thank you mm-hmm. so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Before we go, once again, tell everyone how that they can find the show, the EPL Roundtable, and also follow you on Twitter. Uh, yeah, you can find the show again at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. You can find EPL Roundtable on iTunes and Acast and all that jazz. Uh, I personally am Kevin DeVries at Kevros. I write for Goal and Omnisport. Uh, if you're interested in the fantasy stuff, check out Goal. If you're, fan- if you're interested in live text commentaries and stuff like that, go over to Omnisport. That's where you can find me and the show. Okay, excellent. Well, listen, thank you so much for doing this with me, Kevin. I, I've, I've enjoyed I hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation we had. Yeah, of course I have. Like I said, I, I knew you guys were doing this for a while, and I was glad I could finally be on. Oh, it's great to have you on. But it is time to wrap this up. For my guest, Kevin DeVries, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for listening to Cottage Talk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.